Hi, I'm Renelle Golden, and you're listening to the Movie Making Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Atlas VPN. With so many benefits and protections, it makes sense why millions of people worldwide use Atlas VPN. And now, with Atlas VPN's latest application, you can enjoy a better, safer experience while streaming your favorite shows on Apple TV. Podcast listeners can get 83% off three years of Atlas VPN. Head on over to get.atlasvpn.com slash moviemakingpod to sign up using our exclusive link. Today we are here with acclaimed author, and he is a former television producer and director, and his name is Douglas Wellman. Welcome, Douglas. How are you today? I am wonderful, Ronell, and I want to thank you so much for having me on your show. I've been looking forward to this. Oh, thank you. I'm I'm thrilled to uh, talk to you. you. Your books, the the subject matter of them, it, it's something that's actually really important, and and we'll get into why in a little bit. Because, but maybe now more than ever. But your your background in film and television, well, more like television, is it's very interesting to me because it deals with comedy, and you kind of made, is it a 180? from comedy to very serious things. So let, let's start in the beginning, though. How did you get into film and television? When I was young, I um, was dragged against my will. Uh, with oh, that's my, fun. My elementary school class to sing on TV, which is probably at the time the last place on earth I ever wanted to be. Especially got as a little that, kid. <laughs> got in that television studio and I went, hey, you know, this is pretty cool. I do like this. <laughs> And and the other thing was I'd always been very, very interested in comedy. So I thought, hey, you know, maybe someday I can do all of that. Yeah. So from a very young age, I got interested in that. And then it was just a question of work, <laughs> like most things in life, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Got to pay the rent and fill up the gas tank kind of. Yeah, and, you know, you, I want to go over there, but I got to do that and that and that. And then if I can do it, I'll be there. Yep. Yep. Oh, I know that journey just a little too well. So that that's kind of amazing. You spent a, a long time in there and something you did quite a bit of was producing and I, I believe directing comedy specials. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I really, the early part of my career was primarily directing. And then I just kind of started sneaking into the other side and nice. probably the most fun I ever had. Well, I may say that. The so. rest you can't talk about. <laughs> I, I keep coming up with the most fun I ever had because I had a lot of fun. That's but, good. Uh, from the late 80s until the mid 90s, I was really focusing uh, on comedy. In fact, uh, during one period, I was directing a five half hour a week strip and one one hour live comedy show and so i was like sipping all over the oh wow it was wonderful and then for wow. four years i was on the road doing uh, comedy shows around the country and okay. you, know, you were comedy, directing them producing them both in that case both although i learned wow. fairly early that if i was going out on location much better to bring a director with me to not try and produce and direct I learned that in Boston in the middle of a massive blizzard when everything went in the tank. Oh, my God. Trying to be a producer and rehearse, and it was, it was not working at all. So, a little bit of a challenge, huh? 
I had some wonderful friends who uh, were terrific directors, and it was, you know, we always had fun. We loved it. It sounds like a great, great early career, definitely. At what point did you kind of start transitioning into, I need to tell these stories? Yeah, I was still in comedy TV. I was, at the time, I was an assistant dean at the University of Southern California. Oh, that's cool. Okay. And, uh, but I still had one foot in the other world. A partner and I had been making comedy shows for a long time. We were both interested in history. We both had an interest in, in war. Um, oh, okay. And the last thing we did was in 2010, we made a pilot that was going to be history. Uh, I, yeah, uh, a series on 20th century war. Oh, wow. That didn't sell partially because of our and specifically my <laughs> devotion to hysterical historical accuracy. And oh, no, I right. Did not, I did not want to colorize the early motion picture film. I wanted to leave it back black and white, right. which is an interesting thing from a historical perspective. Not so great if you're trying to sell it. To entertain people. Probably, so you've got to entertain first and, not, and teach. Probably not a real good decision. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and then it just started rolling my way. I was, I was doing a little consulting for the government, and, um, and a major general said, hey, I got this story. You interested in taking a oh. look? So I got into that, and then the thing did that become a book or? Yeah, that's boxes of secret life of Howard Hughes. Oh wow! My friend John Biner, you know, <laughs> man of a billion voices. Mm -hmm. He and I, he and I were in the comedy world. I produced a, a series that he was a star of, and we. Oh, liked. that's cool. And I said to him, "This was, I think, 1995. We shot the last episode. We were in the." airport in los angeles and i said hey uh, john if you ever you know you had a great life you ever want to write a book let me know so 20 years later the phone rings <laughs> it's like oh wow about that book so i wrote uh uh help john write his autobiography it's called five minutes mr biner oh wow and then i got out of the blue i got a call and that was you know that was comedy so it was fun that was what i was used to yeah but I got a call out of the blue one day from my publisher, and she said, I just got a call from this guy. And he said his mother survived the atomic bombing of Hiroshima. Oh, my God. Japanese. They're, they're, they're Russian. Uh, she said, I, I think this has you written all over it. Do you want it? And I said, oh, boy, do I. And so that became wow. Surviving Hiroshima, a young woman's story. What and was that process some, like? Like, how did you some pretty research? serious stuff when we get yeah it. oh my yeah, god unfortunately uh it's, it's a fascinating story because the Kalaria Kalchikov, um her family was russian aristocrats and they escaped from the bolsheviks her father was a white army officer he hijacked a ship in, in russia to take them to, to japan oh my where, gosh where wow. they were going to live happily ever after and then on august 6 1945 everything lit up so a very interesting story wow and has that ever been made into a movie that would be a fantastic movie you know that that without even fiddling around with the timeline of it it's absolutely slam darn yes i know perfect. what you mean <laughs> for, for, you know for what we used to call a mini series or a, a streaming service yes there are so many twists and turns in that story and it's so true all the bumps land at the right place 
um, you know, her uh, her brother had left for California right before the war started to go to UCLA. Well, he ended up in the American Army as a Japanese radio uh, wow. you know, translator. Right. He was the one that heard that they dropped the bomb. And he the- knew his family was there. And his family oh, was there. Oh, I'm goosebumps. That's horrible. Wow. So, I mean, there, there are all kinds of things uh, in that story. It just goes all over the place, but it's all true. How long did it take you to write something like that? Yeah, well, yeah. The research. Oh, my God. Fortunately, Tony Drago, this is his mother that had, you know, went through all of this. She left after the war. The United States Air Force interviewed a bunch of people who had survived the bombing. And she was the only one, the only English speaking person who had been bombed. And she left extensive. She left an oral record recorded by the Air Force. Oh, wow. Well, as things that she wrote. So I had a great spine for the book. Wow. And then after that, it was just the usual amount of massive research that goes with it. But Oh, my God. Yeah. And then a friend of mine read that book, and she had gone to college with the granddaughter of the woman I just wrote about, Basha Freelig. Uh, Ash- Auschwitz? Yeah. Um, a oh, teenage, my gosh. A teenage girl in Auschwitz, Basha Freelich and the Will to Live. That's such a powerful title. And she realized that after reading the book that, hey, I know the granddaughter of a woman who survived Auschwitz. So that's how that one started. Wow. That's very cool. It was, that was quite a ride because I got to work with the family and, um, you know, that's an emotional thing. Yeah. I I was really shocked when I I saw the titles of your book and, and kind of, you know, obviously I haven't read them, but I, I had perused the subject matter and I was like, oh my gosh, because I read your background. It's in comedy and it's lighthearted. And then I'm like, whoa, yeah. what a ride. I've taken, I've taken to calling that life balance. <laughs> That's a good one. It is. Yeah. Pretty hilarious. And then we have this going on. So yeah. well, you never, you can throw in a laugh here or there in the future. <laughs> But I think it's also a thing about maturity. You know, as we get a little older, our our interests change. And I'm fascinated by history and I'm fascinated by people. So that's that's worked out well for me. These topics, both of them, just, you know, me being a filmmaker, I'm an Mm -hmm. indie filmmaker. I'm not a big blockbuster filmmaker, but I just was like, oh, my gosh, there are two powerful films here. And right now the the story about basha and with everything going on probably has some relevance in being told today Um, i'm not sure how to tactfully discuss that you know no i tell you this is right on the nose obviously in one of the points i make when i tell people there are three things i wanted to get out in this book yes the the first was to add to the historical record okay this her story the second thing was she was 14 years old when they put her in Auschwitz. Wow. And she found the inner strength to survive. <laughs> and I believe that strength is in all of us, but most of us. A lot of us can't find it. it. We don't find it. And I want I want people to believe that it's there. And then the final thing, <laughs> and getting back to, to film, is that, you know, when the Nazis took control in Germany, they took control of all media. Okay, so they ran radio, they ran the films, they ran the newspapers. There were 4,500 newspapers in Germany. All all under there? All of which became. Oh my God. Well, that's why people didn't know the truth until later. 
And that's why when we look at, I'm sorry, I'm pointing my finger. I got all worked up here. It's all good. I'm partially blind. Oh, okay. When we look at, um, you know, you look at the things that went on in the concentration camps. Yeah. How could any human being do that? That is unconscionable. Well, the reason, one of the reasons, was most of the people who became guards had been raised under German propaganda. They didn't know. The Jews were completely villainized, and there was no one who could speak the truth about it. Yeah. And they went through the Hitler Youth, where the Jews were completely villainized, and nobody could speak the truth about it. And so if your entire life you've been programmed to believe something, when you're young, particularly. That's what you believe. And so my concern, a very, very big concern, is freedom of the media, because that's the only thing we have to protect us. And we are starting to have issues here with that. Well, you're absolutely right. If if you look at the how media is owned these days, it's there's a very, very small people group of people who own all of this. When I started in television, the federal communications system limited seven broadcast licenses to any one entity, and you couldn't own a broadcast license and a newspaper in the same city. Really? Yes. And they did that. That is not true anymore. (laughs) Yes. See, they did that so that no one could control information. Those people weren't stupid. They Man, I wish it was right still. And that now it's great. gone completely the other way. Yeah. We're in a situation where media control is so centralized that at some point the truth is going to be whatever they say it is, just like in Nazi. We'll Germany. never know. Yeah. And we'll never know. We'll believe it. We'll I know believe. people that hear things just, I mean, as an example, they they hear it on the news over and over again. And for them, that becomes the truth. But they're only listening to one source and they don't do their due diligence. And I have to admit, it is downright terrifying to me. And I don't know how to deal with it. It's harder and harder to do due diligence because all of that stuff is coming from a small group of people. About two years ago, a friend sent me a montage of 12 there's 12 different local TV stations. This wasn't network stuff. Oh, 12, okay. 12, 12 different local TV stations right. telling one story. And in most of them, the it was exactly word for word the same. So That's creepy. Who actually wrote that? Where did that actually come from? That's, that's scary. A little bit creepy. Like, wow. And that's what happened. You had the German people, you know, who arguably were the most cultured in Europe. Yeah. And for this mess, because most of them never saw the truth. Yeah. That, that concerns me deeply, deeply. Wow. So that book is out now. Um, God, I I hope it turns into a movie or something that would just be so powerful. Um, it, It inadvertently became the, the companion piece to surviving Hiroshima because they're both about young survival. women. They're both in, in, in facing incredible challenges. And it is the the Pacific theater of war and the European. Yeah. They're both just moving, moving stories and ultimately, ultimately encouraging stories. Yes. Because they have a hope to them. Those young women 
just they just rose up and did it. It just it, it's amazing. amazing. What are, I don't know if we should save it for the book, but did Basha go on to to survive it and have you know a long life? Basha had a wonderful life. Good. <laughs> okay. Cool. All right. I'm one of those. I need to know. I, yeah, it's okay. one of those where do I dare ask? Yeah. <laughs> she she did survive the war. There, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of the um, the death marches that happened yes, when, when the camps were evacuated. She survived one of those, and she was with a group of displaced young girls, teenagers and girls in their twenties, for oh, a wow. long time. Wow. And they wandered because they had no families. But then she did Fine. find a man who was also a survivor of the concentration camps. And they got married and they made it to the United States. And with nothing, they became successful business people. Oh, that's an awesome story. I love that. How can you not love that? I and, love that. And she we raised a that. wonderful family. I, I work very closely with her daughter. And you look at that and you go, hey. That's oh, wow. That, that is awesome. Do you think you'll end up writing another are you already on the next project? Something no, else? No, I'm not. I'm. I'm. You know, all of my books have kind of come to me. They I didn't go fell in your lap. And, uh, <laughs> I would love to have another good personal story, story, particularly about that that World War II period, because that's where you know I've been a historian of that period for forty years. Your whole life. Well, well wow. Comfortable work in there, but it's getting harder to find people who from that time period. Service. Or left a record in Basha's case. Yeah. You know, left a good, solid record. That is them. amazing. She kind of, I guess, you know, writing is very cathartic. So maybe she was doing it as she goes or afterwards she needed to well, sort of heal. I tell you, of the recorded interviews she did, one of them was for the USC Shoah Foundation. That was done uh, in the 1990s. Okay. It, it was done on video. Now, Basha spoke, I think, seven languages. But, you know, wow. Polish was her native language. But okay. So she left this video testimony. And I can't work off of videotape. I mean, I have to have a transcript. Transcript, yeah. And between the accent and Polish and German and Yiddish right. Hebrew, I said, I'm not, I'm not going to I have absolutely no idea. What right, right. I'm going to have to transcribe this myself, which was okay. But I sat here and I watched her on video tell this story. Oh, wow. And I went, oh, boy, this is, uh, I think I'm just going to turn that off for a little while and come back later. Mm -hmm. It was a tough one. And I am no shrinking violet, believe me. No, but, but you, you feel Watch that woman tell that story was tough. Wow. Oh yeah. my God, that's that is amazing. So, well, my typical question is, where can people find your book? You can find it. Um, it's it's harder to get into bookstores. There's about three thousand books a week. Published. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's on Amazon.com in both print and Kindle. It's on Apple. I mean, it's all of those online services. They can probably Google you, like, do your name on Amazon, and everything you've written would come up because you have a few under your belt. Yeah, there's uh, quite a few. <laughs> one, two, three, I think six now. Oh, that's awesome. Are, so, not all of them are historical, though. Are they? No, and in fact, that includes two versions of the Howard Hughes book because after the first okay. edition was published, we started getting all this information from people 
And we went, ooh, look at this. Uh, I think we're onto something here. So I wrote a second edition. You're like, now we know more. <laughs> very, yeah. very cool. Do you have a, this This is nosy, but do you have a favorite book that you've written so far of your own work? Are you allowed to do that? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's pretty hard. I got completely emotionally tangled up in A Teenage Girl in Auschwitz, I got to say. So that's. That makes that's sense. Different. Yeah. And once again, it's because of watching the video, working with family. Yeah. But also, uh, surviving Hiroshima. Something is a else. That you one. Know, like I say, that one is slam dunk in terms of a, a miniseries because it yeah. all, all everything breaks at the and it's got like five, six different stories that go like that, and then they all come together. Yeah. Uh, so I do. I love those two. I really do. Uh, the Howard Hughes book is great fun. Yeah. Uh, my book, I love writing with John Biner on his book. Oh, yeah. That, I wrote a book on a, uh, on a Christian missionary, a woman missionary in the jungle. Is uh, that fictional or was that? No, that's, that's true. That's, that's amazing. You keep coming up to these real stories. How amazing. Wow. And the funny thing is that they tend to be primarily about, about women. <laughs> well, I it, was going to say that. I'm like, should I? But certainly... There Good. must be some stories about young men that survived these things or found their way or, but I think women, for some reason, maybe we're more sympathetic characters or something. We cry more. I don't know, <laughs> but I have noticed that historically. I think, you know, I think one of the, the fascinating things here is you think about World War II and you think of guys with rifles and they go, that is what I think. They weren't alone, you know, they were That's alone. True. There were an awful lot of women doing an awful lot of stuff. And as in on, on the side of the Germans or today, yeah, on both sides. But you oh, look wow. at, you look I mean, we had our Air Force wax and, and right. you know, cross and all of that stuff. But you also look at the people who've become victimized by all of this. Yeah. We're look we looked at the the strength of the people who survived the Holocaust. Uh, we're looking now at what happened in the Ukraine. Most of those people are minding their own business. They didn't want this. Yeah. And now we're looking at what's going on in Israel. So those people have strength too. Yeah. And there's a lot of women doing a lot of things. We don't necessarily know about it because we're focused on tools and explosions, but they're there and they're doing their part. That's true. That is. It's definitely an interesting time in history. And, uh, you know, hopefully 100 years from now, these stories are being told. And, you know, maybe not even that long. But wow. Wow. Well, that's that's my hope. I mean, my as I say, the first thing was to add to the historical record. Well, it, it started out being the first thing anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you're getting there. It's done. I think and I, and I grew I think on me. Ever, like. Um, <laughs> Wow. Wow. Well, um, before we move on to do our five for five, is there anything you want to share or, or talk about? I will point out two things, and that is everyone consider that there is more inside of you in terms of strength and courage than you probably ever thought about. It'd be a great time to go looking for it now before you actually need it. And the other thing, uh, this will be worded a bit unfortunately but uh, don't believe anybody you know just because the media says it doesn't just because somebody important says it that does That's not it's true. It yeah do yeah. your due diligence in life if you can 
I don't know. I, I um, you know, I worked in the news media for a while, and uh, I've not believed anything I've seen on the news for over forty-five years. So let's. Just- oh wow, wow! Was there a reason you left television and film? Is it because you became an author, or it, was it just a natural transition? You it was kind of a natural transition because the comedy business, the, the one I loved, was kind of it was going somewhere else. Dwindling, yeah. I had a, I had a fully funded comedy special. Um, I'd shot some shows in Jamaica. Um, oh, the wow. Jamaican government said, "Hey, come back. We'll, you know, you know, we'd like to. You're, you're, you were good for business. Come on back." And I said, "Well, I'm not sure. We'll pay for the show. Oh, I could work with that." And uh, so that meant theoretically they'd pay for the show. I'd sell it to some network, and I'd make a lot of money. Nobody would buy it because oh. the of the comedy world had gone away. Yeah. Even sitcoms have gone away. I hope they come back because it's like people don't want to laugh anymore. We, we've transferred our interest to, you know, uh, zombies and very graphic things. And uh, it's it's interesting. Well, when I had a, the, the opportunity, when I had the opportunity to join the University of Southern California, I, I only went there uh, thinking I was going to be there for about six weeks to help them establish a student television station. Oh yeah, and I was there for seventeen years. So <laughs> that's cool. That's that's really cool. I had a pretty good time there too. Honestly. Must have to stick around that long. Very cool. You probably influenced a lot of lives. I hopefully, hope so. hopefully. I had a cool thing happen. One of my prize students from years ago called me. I don't know, six months ago, and wanted me to do. She's now a big time director. Wanted me to do. A voiceover for a commercial, a oh, TV commercial cool. that she shot, and I went. This is so cool. My student is now my employer. I love it. I love it. You did it. Oh yeah. Oh sweet. That's very cool. Very cool. That that's nice. And they remembered you. And yeah. That you did impact lives. How cool is that? Oh my gosh. Do you have any advice for for people like entering film, television, becoming a writer? Any words of wisdom to impart on the process? Or? Well, I would say um, if you want to become a writer, a great thing to do is read. Uh, read people who are really good. Yeah. That is very helpful. In That's- terms of the rest of it, it's gotten kind of complicated with uh, AI and all of this. Yeah. I, had, I had a young man, man ask me about four months ago. He was just entering college. He said, what do you, what do you think I should you know, study to be safe from all of this? And I said, you can't. I, I don't know. I really don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's a little scary. So, um, yeah, I mean, I hence the strikes and and hopefully, you know, some things that they're working out will help them in the future. But uh, yeah, I didn't even realize that it was a thing until the strikes. And then I started reading up on it and I'm like, oh, wow. You know, for the writers, for the actors, for the writers, the problem is AI is writing their scripts for them. And I'm a writer. That's the first thing I do. I'm a screenwriter. Um, But then for the actors, I was going, they what? They film you one day and then you're in the whole movie, but you only get paid for one day. Like I started learning all these levels and I'm like, okay, I get it. You're on strike. This is bad. (laughs) Yeah. On on the book end of things, I read uh, a story about a guy who published 100 books last year. Uh, Chat GPT wrote the books. Yep, yep. And I know he published them in his basement or something. And, mm-hmm. and those all those books go out into the marketplace, and then I have to compete with them. Yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting world. It, it really is. I know a lot of people that are turning to the, the chat 
uh, GPT and it, it scares me. And I'm like, you know, I could write something for you, <laughs> but, um, you know, we hope for the best hope is kind of all we can do. And, uh, yeah, we just keep moving forward and figuring out how it all works, I guess. So it's, it's a very interesting world. I, I, I think the only thing that we can really count on is to each of us as individuals, try to be the best person yeah. that we can yeah. and hope collectively enough of us do Our that maybe we can make a change yeah yeah that is kind of how i live my life too and I, you know you kind of hope you see more good than bad yeah. but uh it starts with you being good so it's but it's a choice daily we could go to the other side because i see people that flip and uh i'm always like no kindness is how it is that's where it's at and, and you know when you look at like a teenage girl in Auschwitz, you yeah. look at that, as I said earlier, how do people do that? How do, how can people the hope, right through all of that kind of, yeah. How can you have the hope to survive and how can you mercilessly treat people like that? And we're seeing it right now again. Yeah. We're seeing it again. Yeah. My son and I talk about it a lot because what just happened, because we don't understand it. And there are innocents yeah. on both sides. And the reasons I don't understand it at all. It's in, it's in cultured, in cultured hatred and ignorance. That's a good and way. That's all you grow up with. If that's all you see in the media, yeah, uh, that's what you're going to have a tendency to believe because you don't have anything else. Well, and you know, the the approach that they took with this out of the blue bombing, and I'll try not to get political or anything, but I was telling my kid, who they're adults now, they're in their 20s, going to be mm -hmm. one of them 29. But um, once you do something like that, I will never, this is me personally, but I imagine it's true for the world. I won't hear your message. I won't know what you're about. I will just think you're a monster, a terrorist. I will never understand anything yeah. beyond the act that you did. And it's that simple and what a what a wrong way to go in my mind but it, it's inexcusable mm -hmm. and because it's inexcusable then they have no credibility they have no credibility at all i don't care what nothing i agree i agree it's been crazy but uh sorry to take you down the the sad stuff but <laughs> no that's fine I'm, I'm glad you did because this is important at some point we have to protect ourselves we and our families, you know? yeah and it's hard and we can't necessarily depend on on the leaders who every smiling face is not your friend and that's just the way it is it's sad but that's the way yeah the ones that smile are often the worst so yeah. but how do we know and we have to trust it to a certain extent because yeah. we have to live our lives so. yeah you gotta pick through who's who's good yeah who? yeah it's it's hard and you know i'm i'm nearly 60 and i'm still trying to decipher what's good what's not when i meet people and you know one day at a time and and live with hope and and like you said kindness be good you try know? to be kind and living with hope you know is a is a good thing in fact, yeah. you have to have hope. Without hope, that's the only way I can. Yeah, that. But be conscious. Uh, you know, take an occasional look over your shoulder. I guess that's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Wait. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so so true. All right. Well, you have been an absolute delight. And if you're up for it, I'd love to do my five for five questions. Okay. And you told me. You told me before they were goofy. They uh, are. Uh, well, goofy. three of them are goofy. 
Okay. Okay. You, and it's, they're not overly personal, like, you know, what's your cat's name or anything like that. But, um, you know, they're just sort of goofy. So you ready? Okay. I'm ready. All I'm right. Question like number one. Spring. Let's uh, fire away. <laughs> there you go. All right. What's your favorite food? Favorite food? Yeah. I am going to say pasta, specifically your basic spaghetti. Yummy. Nothing Anytime, fancy. Anytime, anywhere. Nothing oh. fancy. I'm I a very it. simple person. You can ask anyone. Easy to make, right? So anyone can make you happy. Make a little pasta. That's right. Super simple. Okay. Next question. What is something that in life inspires you or motivates you? I think uh, courage. Courage, absolutely. Courage. When I see someone who is perhaps weak and yet they stand up anyway, you know, or someone who That's will so take, take a risk that maybe whatever's going on isn't necessarily their business specifically, right. but they know it's wrong. Right. Step into it. I respect that enormously. I do too. And I will admit I'm chicken a lot, but I try to find my voice. So that that's a big one. I love that answer. Okay. What is something that you have always dreamed of doing, but you haven't done yet? Well, I'm a car nut. And, um, you want to race or, or I, I've never, I've never raced. I, I had a little, um, in, I've encountered a little neurological bump in my life, which uh, is affecting my legs. So uh, right. I, I will not be, uh, I will not be participating in high speed motorsports. But you can watch. I, uh, I look on with envy at anyone who does. Yeah. If you wanted to, I imagine your, your partner would be like, you know, you're not going out there. <laughs> That's uh, kind of what happened the last time I crashed a motorcycle. My lovely wife, Deborah, said, He's like, no I more. think that part of your life is over. So <laughs> oh, she's wise. Yes. Oh, my God. Totally. I love that. Okay. Back to fun questions. Number yes. four. What is your favorite song to sing at the top of your lungs if you're driving in your car? Oh, um, I had a cassette of somebody, uh, somebody in the Silver Bullet Band. And, oh, okay. Uh, can't think of his name, I but every day, every time that um, I would, I used to drive cross country. I wish I could remember the name of the song. Oh God, I have the I same problem. Cassette player back then, and uh, blew that out of the out of the you know speakers. And that was my "Let's Get Up and Hit the Road at 5 A.M." song. I, uh, okay, to wake you Bob up Seger. with your coffee. It's Bob Seger, and I can't remember the name. Oh my God, I love Bob Seger. Oh. He was my in high school. I, man, it was Bob Seeger. Shoot. Uh, I, I don't remember. Out, I came blasting out of Oklahoma City one morning to the sounds of Bob Seeger. And five minutes later, I was in the back of a highway patrol. On the road again? Is that Bob Seeger? No. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember. But <laughs> I love Bob Seeger and I, I, um, I'm sure it's a fantastic song. Okay. Last question What is your favorite movie? Mm hmm. Ooh, that becomes a tough one. Yeah, I have a million. Yeah, I, uh, Dr. Strangelove is pretty. Ooh, okay. Pretty the, the original, it's, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, um, um, yeah, that was. Good movie. Different. That was really different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hence the name right now. <laughs> they made a, a series on. I think it was on Netflix or something, and it was kind of based off that book or something. There were some right. weird characters in it. Um, it I slim, slim Pickens riding an atomic bomb down under the bomb. Oh, <laughs> it's a oh. pretty, it's a pretty tough uh, finale to beat. Oh God! 
Very, very cool. So, all right. Well, you have been amazing. I thank you so much. I'm, I'm so glad that um, you came and spent some time with me. And secretly, I really hope that your books become films. They could be very powerful. I do too. Uh, a Teenage Girl in Auschwitz and uh, Hiroshima. Hiroshima, two stories of powerful women and powerful hope. Young, young women facing adversity. I love it. I love it. I'm glad you wrote them. Important stories. So, so um, Douglas, thank you so much for spending time with me. I wish you a great, great day. And well, I hope thank I you so much. And uh, I love being on your show. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Movie Making with Renelle Golden is brought to you by Samira Entertainment, supporting indie films and the filmmakers who create them. Stop by their website to learn more www.samiraentertainment.com That's www.samiraentertainment.com You've been listening to Movie Making with Rennell Golden. Be sure to come back for our next episode where we bring you the people who make movies you love. Got a topic about filmmaking you want to hear on our podcast? Send us an email at moviemakingpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.